Hello and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk with culturepreneurs from top organizations about how they build high performance cultures and how they're putting culture at the center of strategy to help drive exceptional performance. I'm Marty Parker, the President and CEO of Waterstone Human Capital, and my guest today is the President of Weston Forest Products, Steve Rohn. Steve, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures. Thanks, Marty. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Now, a little bit more about Steve. Steve's been a vital part of Western Forest for over 30 years. Sorry, Steve, if I'm dating you here a little bit. Uh, beginning with a junior role as a laborer in operations. And since then, he's held management roles in virtually every part of the company, including turns as the mill manager, night shift supervisor, hardwood product manager, U.S. sales manager, VP of finance and operations, and of course, his most recent role as president. And Steve is relentless in his desire to succeed. He has a deep desire to learn and constantly challenges himself and others to do the impossible. He's committed to ensuring that others within Western Forest have the opportunity to develop and reach their goals. And of course, it was under Steve's leadership that Western Forest has won two Canada's most admired corporate culture awards in 2016 and in 2019. Now, Steve, for those who aren't familiar with Western Forest Products, tell us a little bit about the organization and the culture that you've built there. Sure. Thanks, Marty. I'd love to. Western Forest has roots that date back to 1953, when a group of immigrants started a local lumber yard in Old Toronto on Old Western Road in, uh, in the downtown area, looking to uh, support a new and vibrant growing city. And create opportunity for themselves. And for a generation that happened uh, and, and the father eventually uh, consolidated the ownership of the company and decided to move and look for a bigger facility and more opportunity and heard about a little place called Malton that was thriving and booming and the potential for a city to be built around an airport and bought a piece of farmland up just behind Pearson International Airport, which is where we remain located today in 1970. And we've been there ever since. Uh, the Sons became involved in the business late 70s, early 80s with the goal of growing a, a lumber giant that would service uh, needs around the world. And dad gave them the flexibility to do that so long as they could finance their own dreams. That was his only caveat. He said, make, make as much as you can, but when, and whatever you make, we'll put back into the business so you can keep growing it. And so that was their challenge. And for the next 25 years, or the phase two of our existence, as we like to call it, that's what they did. And they successfully built up a company from the early 80s until the early 2000s that uh, was doing uh, over 200 million in revenue with over 200 employees in 43 countries around the world. And under that, there was about six different operating businesses all involved in the wood product space with specific market segments that they were focused on. And we stood those out as independent businesses that were uh, able to grow and thrive on their own, giving them their own infrastructure, their own financing and their own ownership structure, which include involving longstanding members of management and, and so on and giving them the opportunity to grow within the business. And in 2006, the last of all of that restructuring was done and Western Forest Products as it is today and the company that I run today was created and took over the 
final facility, which was the original facility. And we became sort of the legacy with the remainder of home office and head office, et cetera, along with our industrial business, which was kind of the core business that uh, Western Forest Products is founded on. Our management team was given, our current management team was given the opportunity to buy into the business in 2011 and bought in uh, over the course of uh, the next 10 years, we've uh, transitioned. The family is still owns uh, some equity in the business, but is now a minority owner of the company and the management team currently owns the business. And all of that goes back to the theme of, of what we've really tried to build over many years. And that's a place where People matter most. People come first. It's one of our core values. And by doing that, we create opportunities. And so growth is not for the sake of growth. We're not measured strictly by the financial rewards that come from being bigger and stronger, but it's about creating opportunities for our people. And that's a big part of what our culture is about. And by creating those opportunities, we're able to share success with, with our people. And then it's about making the, making the place something more than just a place to work. So the, re, the real culture that we believe in, it's, it's absolutely people first. It's sharing the successes that we're able to generate together. And it's about making it a place that's special for people to come to. Awesome. Well, Steve, as we heard, you've worked in virtually every department in the company over the, over the years. We won't mention that twice, how many of those is, but, um, how has that experience really helped you shape your approach to leadership and culture? Yeah, it's been hugely beneficial for me. Uh, I obviously didn't start in the business. I started as a 17 year old kid. And so I, I didn't know that this was gonna be the place that was gonna be my career at the time. I was literally looking for a place to generate some rent money and, uh, and buy some groceries every week and, and just a, a way to live sustainably paycheck to paycheck was my my only goal when I walked in the door um, but I but I found myself in a place that gave me opportunities and it took maybe a couple of years to truly recognize that as a 17 year old kid you probably don't realize what's around you right away but I was given opportunities and I took them and I found myself realizing that I was in a place where they were going to continue challenging me and as long as I was willing to keep accepting those challenges that I would find an opportunity to do better and to better myself. And so I found a place where I could, where I could stick. Uh, and now looking back on it, it's now 34 years later, um, finding myself in a position where I've sort of got to the end of the road or, or got to the pinnacle within the organization and um, finding other ways to challenge myself, but now being able to spend a lot more time thinking about how I can give back to the rest of the organization, how I can support other members of our team, being able to find ways to create their own opportunities and to achieve their own dreams and truly being able to sit put yourself in somebody else's shoes and walk in somebody else's shoes and have the understanding and the empathy to be able to really truly understand what they're dealing with on a daily basis gives me a much better understanding of how to help them move forward and how to help them solve problems and solve challenges because I've been there and done that. And everyone in our organization knows that um, because there's a, there's storytelling in any organization. Of course, my story is, is part of our culture, quite honestly, it's about a place of opportunity and I'm sort of the poster child for opportunity within an organization. For sure you are. 
Now, Weston Forrest, you, you really do put culture at the center of your business strategy. Talk about how that kind of approach came to be and why it's so important to your success. Yeah, so, you know, people first. We've always, we're people-centric and a lot of places talk about that, but we live and breathe it every single day. But I truly believe that by putting our people first, uh, if we look after our employees really well and we make our business about them, uh, they become much more interested in working, given that discretionary effort to make the customer experience a little bit better, uh, to go out of their way to, to do a little bit more. And because of that, we end up having a fantastic customer experience. And because our customers have a great experience, we get long-term partnerships with our customers. We don't have a lot of customer churn, we get commitment. And because of that commitment, we end up getting good business results. And so it all goes back to making our people the most important priority. And when we do that, we end up with the best results. Awesome. Now your brand promise at Western Forest is you'll love doing business with us. And as a leader, how do you communicate that promise and how does it show up in everyday operations? Yeah, it's, it's a great story that we came up with that in the first place. And we actually hired a, uh, a marketing company to come in and sort of help us do a brand refresh and create a new logo and come up with a tagline and do all those kind of things that you do as a corporation from time to time. And they spent a bunch of time and talked to a bunch of our people internally and talked to some of our customers and suppliers and got a bunch of feedback and came back to us with a big presentation about what we should do and a whole bunch of words that we should consider and how we could maybe put them together into a sentence. And we had a conversation, we had about 25 of our key middle managers and senior managers in a room taking in this feedback and sort of having a working session to come up with a final result. And everything that they brought us just didn't quite feel right. And, and we were going back and forth in the room and trying to wordsmith a couple of different options that they had brought to us. And uh, Rob Ruby, a longtime partner of mine and who's been on our senior team for, for decades, was sitting in the back of the room and he's kind of our wordsmith in, in the company that uh, goes over our press releases and so on. And he said, isn't everything that you're telling us come back to one thing? And that's just that people love doing business with us. And we all kind of looked around and said, that's exactly what this means. That's what this place is about. And that's what all of this feedback is telling us. Why don't we just use that? And uh, the guys that we hired looked around and said, it's better than anything we've got. I think that's exactly what your customers and your suppliers are telling you. And, uh, and so that's how we came up with it. And, and then we reflected about what that really meant because we had taken a lot of feedback to get to that point uh, from all of our stakeholders. And for us, our stakeholders are our employees first, our customers second, our suppliers third, and last, our shareholders. Um, and so when we now when we talk internally and when we communicate internally and even externally quite often, we refer back to whether or not this will live up to that statement that people will love doing business with us. We use specific examples in internal communications. We use it when we're doing recognition internally and rewarding, rewarding or recognizing some of our employees for the work they're doing. And we refer to the fact that what you did or how you handled that is 
something that you would love doing business with us. And, and so that statement is used often in communication and reinforced as a message of what we're about. Interesting. Have you, have you been able to leverage that statement, this brand promise as part of your recruitment strategy as well, Steve? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's something that people look to when, you know, when new talent is exploring an opportunity of whether to join your organization today, they tend, they tend to interview you as much as you're interviewing them to decide whether they're interested in joining your organization. So what you put out there is incredibly important. But it also has to be authentic and it has to be something that they can find and prove out for themselves and believe in. And so we've had lots of people that have come to us and said, you know, we've seen this, these stories online, we've looked into you, we've read reviews, we've watched your videos, uh, things of that nature. And, it's, and it comes back and it rings true to us that people obviously like doing business with you. And so, you know, tell me a little bit more about that or why do people love doing business with you? And, and so we get to tell the stories about why that's so important to us and why we believe that's a driving force behind the people that are there. And people resonate with that. They want to be in a place that matters more than just the numbers. And uh, that's why they love joining us ultimately. Well, I know also, since we're on the topic of recruitment, that your team makes use of predictive analytics as part of that hiring process. How has that helped you in hiring for fit and even driving success? Yeah, PI is a tool that we've been using now for probably about six years or so. Um, it's something that, that we have started to rely on more and more over the years as we've become more and more familiar with how it works and how it interacts with both the people we have and the people we're bringing on board. Culture is impacted by every single person that you bring into your organization. Um, it's not a static thing. It's a living and breathing thing. And every person contributes to, in some way, the culture of your organization. And so we spend an awful lot of time trying to hire for fit. And a lot of people talk about that. And I don't think there's a perfect science to getting it absolutely right. And we've certainly made mistakes despite all the tools and all the emphasis that we put on it. But PI is just one more tool that helps us in the process of trying to make sure that we recruit well. And more importantly, that once we've recruited well, that the people that are then asked to collaborate together have a working understanding of each other's natural preferences, behaviors, tendencies, and the way they prefer to be communicated with, the way they work best, the kinds of information they need in order to do their jobs well. And it also allows us to put people in a position where they're more likely to succeed. So because we all have different tendencies, if your natural tendency is to be very detailed oriented, but we're asking you to be in a highly collaborative environment where there's lots of crazy ideas thrown around and there's never a full picture before you have to make a decision, that detail oriented person's gonna go crazy trying to be successful in that role. Sure. But if you don't have a detailed orientated person in your accounting department, you're probably going to have a problem with your books. So you need to, you need to figure out how to place people that have certain behavioral tendencies in a position where they would be most successful and then have under, other people within your team understand how they need to be interacted with to be most comfortable and to be most successful. And so we use PI as a tool to help build 
communication strategies within our teams and have better understanding of each other's natural tendencies. Very cool. Now, a few years back, I know you made some deliberate changes to the way you work and, uh, and particularly help attract and meet the ongoing needs of your millennial employees. So, you know, everyone's trying to learn about millennials and, and, Gen, and Gen Z. Talk about some of the changes you made and what they've meant for the business overall. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just the latest evolution of an ongoing pattern of behavior for us. And we've always believed in this company that you have to have the next generation in place. You have to have succession. You have to have planning about the future. And you always have to be thinking about those things. So our company has always had layers of generations within it, um, in, you know, 10, 15 year bands of employees. You know, we don't have a whole bunch of 50-somethings and then a whole bunch of 20-somethings. There's a bunch in between, too, and that's been very, very intentional. But the, the most recent cohort, those last couple of generations coming into the workforce, have certainly looked for and been interested in things a little different than some of the ones prior, myself included. And for a while, it took a little, a little bit to understand that those things were actually necessary or important or what they really were. And in order to do that, we asked some of them, quite honestly, and got some feedback from younger people. What was important to them and what do you want and what would make this environment better for you through internal communications, roundtables, uh, other methods that we have for regularly getting feedback loops from our employees. But we did some interesting things or what we thought were interesting things. We put extra screens on people's desks probably seven or eight years ago, gave them access to and permission to use things like Facebook at the time and whatever the social platform is of the day today, understanding that the young generations didn't necessarily distinguish between their personal life and their work life as black and white as some generations past where you went into work at eight o'clock, you worked, you kept your head down, you didn't do any distractions, you walked out at five, you left the office, you left the work behind and you went and you went home and watch TV, got on the computer, did whatever you wanted to do from a social aspect. Now it appears that everybody, everybody tends to blend these things together. And that's certainly been exasperated in the last year and a half through the COVID pandemic, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we gave them the opportunity to be themselves and to feel comfortable and to do the things that drove them. And in exchange, they continued to give us that discretionary effort that we talked about earlier. When your employees are truly happy and engaged, they give you back a little bit more. And it wasn't at all uncommon to have a 20-something-year-old employee that was one or two years into the job answering my emails at 11 or 12 o'clock at night because they were still connected to the same activity electronic infrastructure and to them it wasn't i'm not on the clock so i'm not working right now an email came in and i've got to answer something and there wasn't uh, distinguishing between the two so we stopped count, counting hours we got really flexible about uh, in office um, versus out of office workspace before it became the thing to do 18 months ago and send everybody away virtually we had flexible work hours uh, we had flexible summer hours where we had alternating Fridays off for, for everyone in the organization, um, extended vacation policies, flexible vacation policies, paid sick days. We did all kinds of things that they were asking for, as well as some of the fun stuff around the office that you hear about. We've got a ping pong table. We've got a games room. We've got TVs on every wall that sometimes have business charts up on them and 
sometimes have an Xbox attached to them. So whatever it is that uh, made everybody feel like they were in a fun place. Right. Well, you've also done a lot as it relates to measurement uh, in a lot of different areas of the business as well. What prompted this and, and how do these areas, like how does this work? Yeah, so KPIs and, and other forms of measurement are critically important to your success. If you don't measure something, you can't truly know which direction you're moving or how successful you are. And setting out goals and targets uh, and having people achieve something requires that you focus them on the outcome and, and give them a measurement so that they know how they're doing. And so we've always been pretty diligent about measuring all kinds of things. And some of them are hard and fast numbers and some of them are a little bit softer. One of the interesting tools that we used is, and I borrowed it from a workshop that I attended about four years ago, was live feedback from our employees. So I do a quarterly town hall with, with all of our employees. Used to be in person. It's been a little bit more challenging over the last four times when I talk to my blank screen and hope that there's somebody on the other side listening. There's, <laughs> there's a few hundred people logged in, but I never know if they're all paying attention or they just have me on mute, so I feel good. Um, but as part of that process, we, got, uh, we created a, a survey at every one of the town halls at the end of my town hall where I'd ask between 10 and 15 questions on topics about how they were feeling, how the business was doing, how they felt about... Uh, uh, a bunch of programs that we were offering, whatever the case might be. And to get that direct employee feedback loop going. And by doing it in that live setting where everybody could answer the survey live and, and it's uh, completely anonymous. So we got honest feedback. And by putting yourself out there and being transparent, communicating and being vulnerable, it allows people to really engage with what you're doing. And by, by putting yourself out there and, and accepting that the answer that's gonna flash up on the screen behind you 30 seconds after you ask the question is completely unknown. Um, that's a pretty vulnerable state to be in in front of your employee base. But, uh, and the answers weren't always great. I mean, there was times where there was something that was identified that was a challenge and, and it gave us the opportunity to immediately address it and to take care of concerns. And people love it because they see an instant response, both in acknowledging whatever is up there and then the follow through on doing something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the other metrics that you measure against is the total hours of training and development completed by your team, which is really interesting. What benefits have you seen by having such a commitment, a big commitment to continuous learning? Yeah, I think continuous learning is, is a critical pillar to success, both for individuals and organizations. Um, I think people that are committed to bettering themselves on a regular basis uh, tend to outperform. And so I've tried to encourage that environment in our organization. We've, we've hired a full-time training coordinator uh, along with a couple of other people even in that department that support her. Uh, to facilitate uh, people's desire for learning, uh, both the things that are absolutely required in our organization and then the discretionary things that, uh, that we create opportunities for our employees that are not necessarily in any way related directly to our business. Uh, so we will support people in both their personal pursuit 
uh, and interests as well as professional ones. And because we do both and because we show the commitment to development for our people, we end up with a uh, much higher uh, engagement from our employees. And when they're engaged, it goes back to the first step when it's all about our people. If, if our people are engaged, they end up delivering a much better customer experience. And if they deliver a better customer experience, we end up with a better business outcome. Um, so the benefits are, it doesn't matter what they're doing. They come back better, stronger, more engaged employees in whatever learning pursuit they take. Got it. What is COVID-19, uh, this entire pandemic taught you, Steve, about the culture of Western Forest? It's reinforced the belief that we do have a very strong culture that is one about people that truly care about each other. Um, it's absolutely proven to me that, uh, that we're a resilient group, that we have a nimble organization. Um, but most importantly, it's about the fact that our, our people truly care about each other. We've gone out of our way uh, to do things from a safety perspective. Uh, and nobody in our organization has pushed back on anything that had to happen in order to make sure that we were keeping everybody as safe as possible. And as a result, although, you know, sadly, we've, like everywhere else, have probably directly uh, been impacted by COVID with people being, um, having gotten ill, we just have a large enough population that it was inevitable. But we've had zero cases of contact or spread within our, any of our workplaces, um, which we're incredibly proud of. And the same question, but what is this crazy pandemic we've all been living for 15 months Touch about your own leadership? Um, well, maybe not entirely just my own, but uh, leadership in general, I think. And, you know, I hope I, I, hope I represent these things, but I believe these things are, are critical to leadership. But it's reinforced my belief that empathy is absolutely required. You got to be able to understand what other people are dealing with when, you, when you're leading them. If you just have a, a one-dimensional view of the world and you want it to be your way, um, you will only get a small percentage of people that see the world exactly the same way or seeing it with exactly the same experience. And so you have to have empathy. Resilience is absolutely a requirement. Um, things come at you. There was no playbook for this. And, and there is no leader out there that can honestly tell you they woke up on... March 12th or 13th, whatever it was last year, and knew exactly what they had to do, because uh, nobody did. Uh, and if they tell you different, they're not being totally honest. Um, and we all managed and we got through it. And here we are, you know, eight, 17, 18 months later and still going strong. So, um, and we're learning from each other, right? Whether it's, uh, whether it's internally within our organizations or externally, we're relying on others and sharing best practices, but you have to be resilient. You have to have some courage. There was a lot of tough decisions that had to be made, especially in those early days when it was, you know, uh, one for us was, you know, do we keep everybody employed? Are we going to be open tomorrow? Do we worry about laying people off? Do we cut back on wages and salaries? You know, all those kinds of things you, you run through all the risk scenarios and decide how defensive you're going to have to be. I'm very proud of the fact that our our senior team came to the decision that we were going to 
go against the trend and that we were going to guarantee that nobody was going to lose any of their salary or hours. And this is before we knew what was going to happen. We said, as long as we can afford to pay everybody, we will pay everybody uh, until we run out of money. Um, and shortly after, within a couple of weeks, we were giving out bonus pay for anybody that was actually still having to come into the uh, facility. Obviously, we can't load lumber and pile lumber and, and cut it up without having people physically present. So it was impossible for us to virtualize our entire workforce. So those that we asked to show up, we paid extra. Um, we gave every employee in the company a, bon a cash bonus the first week that uh, after the lockdowns so that they could go out and buy any of those essentials that people were worried about stocking up on. And uh, so we kind of went the other way, but it took a lot of courage to make some of those decisions, both the ones to be generous and, and to talk through the other possibilities, uh, which we did. And we spent an awful lot of time on before landing on going in the other direction. And then the last thing is communication. Communication is absolutely critical to successful leadership. And I know that's probably been said in every business book or every, every thought leadership conference, but by, being, by communicating often, frequently, and, and transparently about what's going on around you and, and the things that you know well and the things that you don't know well. And to give confidence, but to also recognize that we didn't have all the answers every single day, but we were going to continue fighting to do the best we could for our people every single day. And they truly believe that. And I believe we did a good job in the end of the day, but I think that's, what's critical to leadership. And it certainly came out big time in the last 18 months. That's great. Let's look ahead um, the, for the next few years, three, four, whatever, five years. What do you see Steve as, critical to aligning your people to your culture and to sustaining the high performance culture that you've built at Western Forest? Yeah, I'd love to say there's something magical that we could do, but I think it's, it's truly more of the same. Um, it, it's being very deliberate about the communication strategies. It's, it's ensuring that we're inclusive with all the people as we onboard them especially in today's environment where things are a little bit different. It's, it's, it was, I, I won't even say easier because it was different and, and it's going to be different in the future. But when everyone was together, you could sort of spread some of that culture through osmosis. And now you got to be a little bit more deliberate about it than ever uh, with not everybody interacting with each other as frequently. In some cases, we have employees that have never met each other uh, mm -hmm because we've hired through the last 18 months. And, and so we've onboarded people that have never met each other. So in some cases, even virtually, other than in group settings where they don't have any personal, personal time. Um, so making sure that we have good storytelling around why these things are important, that we talk about our values consistently because your values drive your culture. And you have to live and breathe them every single day. So creating good storytelling opportunities. I think one of the biggest challenges for us, we're a fast growing company as well as, uh, as everything else. And so part of our ambitions are to continue to spread out geographically. And as, as we do that, how do we bring those other groups of people and organizations in and make sure that that culture remains consistent across all of our operations in all of their locations, wherever they may end up being 
um, especially as you start getting into some geographies that are a little farther away and maybe there's some other underlying cultural differences, et cetera, and the way people operate and the way they do business. And how do we make sure that remains very consistent across our entire organization? That's probably going to be one of my biggest challenges as we continue to grow is to figure out how to make sure that integration continues to happen and that everybody understands and lives and breathes the same kind of caring for people as we currently do. Well, Steve, Western Forest has always been an organization that has kind of looked to the next generation and, and as you talked about earlier, made sure it was thinking about succession. So when you think about, and this is my last question for you, you know, one piece of advice that you'd give to a young person or a new leader or an up and coming, uh, you know, person at Weston that's just starting out on their own high performance leadership and culture journey, what would that be? I would say first and foremost that you have to understand as an individual that you always have to be authentic in your actions and, and your words. Um, no one can tell you what to do to create the perfect culture. They can give you a playbook. They can tell you these things are important or those things are important. But each culture is a little bit unique. And it's something that you absolutely have to live and breathe every day. So it has to be something you truly believe in for it to end up uh, coming out in that way. And what you do will ultimately affect the culture, whether you like it or not, and for good or for bad. So it's not just words and statements, but it's actions that people believe in and follow, and they'll follow you. What you do every day will determine the culture that you end up leading. Yeah, true enough. And uh, I think with uh, what's really interesting is that Weston Forest certainly for many, many years now has really been a people first culture, which is, you know, probably the reason why uh, that organizations love doing business with you is because they, you put your people first and when you put your people first, you know, the research is there that, uh, that they'll put your, your clients and your customers first. But really, you've also done a lot to put your brand as your culture and your culture as your brand. You know, you, you, you ended the story talking about being authentic. Well, that's about as authentic as you can get right there. Um, and, and I think as well, when you've been around, around, I know we're not an old country in Canada, but this is a company that's, that certainly has different chapters to its story um that uh that you have always looked to the next generation and when you do that you start to work hard to get better and i think you also work hard at listening and it's clear to me that western forest has a as big of a future as as it has if not bigger than its past so i want to thank you steve of uh, steve roan of the president of western forest for being our our guest today and and thanks for your authenticity and your story thank you very much marty it's been a pleasure sharing with you so thanks for everyone for joining us and joining us next week. Join us next week, I should say, for another episode of Building High Performance Cultures. And if you want to learn more about the topic, go to waterstonehc.com.